Hello? Hi. Hello? Can, can, you, hear you, can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes. Is my volume coming through okay? Yes. Cool. Yeah, I was in the laundry room when I emailed you, and um, the washers in the laundry room are really bad. Like, no worries. Yes, I was like, ah, no worries. So, how do we start? Um. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming. Um, Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Um. I usually like to have my guests introduce who they are and what they do and, and give a spiel about, you know, how they got into languages and what made them either create their companies or. Sure. You know, you know. Sure. So um, my name is John T. Yamisha. I'm the founder and CEO of Optolingo. We are a language learning platform. Uh, we currently support 20 languages. We're going to be adding our 21st in just a couple of weeks. Um, I've been at this for uh, a couple of years now, and I kind of fell into this. I, I never I never thought I would be uh, doing this. My, my background is uh, for the last 20 years of my career, uh, I've really been working in uh, financial services and management consulting. So um, I guess the, the, the best way to explain how I ended up where I am, um, I'm a third generation refugee. My folks came to the United States uh, in the late 60s, early, early 70s, early 70s. And um, I'm an ethnic Circassian. And there's only about 5 million of us in the world. Um, maybe 1 or 2 million of us speak the language. And that number is going down because it is a, uh, endangered, uh, an endangered language. And so as a kid, Growing up, um, I was always exposed to the sounds of Circassian, as well as Turkish and Arabic, a little bit of Russian, a little bit of Hebrew, um, but I never was taught any of those languages. My, I think my parents just assumed that I would learn them because, you know, up until that point in time, all Circassians spoke Circassian because up until that point in time, most Circassians lived in villages and globalization wasn't really a thing. So um, I, I never grew up speaking my own language. I never grew up really being able to communicate with the elders of my family, especially my grandparents. And I always had this dream of, of learning this language, of teaching it to myself. And uh, one day at the ripe age of 31, I decided that that day was today and I was going to start learning that language. And um, what I realized was there was really no, it's its not really a well-documented language. There are literally no resources to, to learn it uh, as a non-native speaker. So I first realized I needed to learn how to learn a language. Um, I ended up buying or using or engaging in every type of language learning thing I could find, whether it was classes or accelerated classes, uh, uh, courses, uh, lectures, uh, apps, books, uh, web-based things. And, um, you know, nothing, nothing really resonated for me. And uh, I decided, all right, I'm just going to sit down and create kind of my own approach, my own methodology. And I did it well enough that 
I often pass as a native speaker of Circassian. And to be clear, that probably says as much about the decline of the language as it does about my command of it. Um, but I, I speak it reasonably well. And my, my wife is a native speaker and our children speak the language as their first language, which we're very proud of. And we speak it exclusively in the home. Um, and I thought, okay, you know, I've, I've done something good here. And I took all my experience and all my notes and I wrote them all up and I started sharing them with other Circassians around the world. Um, I want to say I've, I've easily taught in person well over a thousand people how to speak this language, my language to, to varying degrees. And um, soon enough, my, all my notes, all my materials, I published them all to the web and Circassians from around the world started to translate them into other languages. Uh, and asked me, you know, can you can you make a course for people who are native speakers of Russian or Arabic or Hebrew, uh, in some cases, German and Turkish. And uh, of course, I was all for it. And then that's when I realized I I'm not a trained linguist. I am a clearly a native speaker of English, but I'm not you know, intimately familiar with how to explain the differences between present tense, present progressive tense, past, past participles, past progressive. And I'm certainly not qualified to be able to then translate those terms into all the languages that I just described, um, right. none of which are actually have common grammatical roots. So I very quickly avoided any sort of formal instruction of grammar. And this is something our, our app is, is very well known for. What a lot of people don't know is I've actually written a 200, play, 200 page plus book on the Circassian grammar. So <laughs> I do value grammar, um, but I realize that it's, it's not optimal for language acquisition. So, right. um, my, my materials were translated into all these different languages. And I think somewhere in the back, and I, I have a, non, I have a, a, a nonprofit foundation in the United States uh, uh, recognized by the IRS, we're a 501c3 not-for-profit not uh, uh, foundation. It's called the Nassip Foundation. This is what held all of the, still holds all the intellectual property for all this free stuff that I've created. Um, so an interesting thing happened to me about four or five years ago. Um, my family, my mom and dad were born in Syria and we're not Middle Easterners, we're not Arabs, um, but again, as a third generation refugee, uh, our people are originally from the North Caucasus of the Russian Federation. Following uh, a, a long war, we were expelled into the Ottoman Empire, and that's how we arrived in the Middle East. And as the Ottoman Empire broke apart, that's how we arrived in the West. Um, I still have family in Syria. And uh, one day I got, a, um, I got a message on Facebook from a ethnic Circassian whom I'd never met before, who said, I wanted to thank you for teaching me Turkish. And I said, I said to myself, <laughs> I don't speak Turkish. How could I teach this guy how to speak Turkish? So long story short, it turns out that he is a uh, ethnic Circassian who was displaced and living in Turkey, basically in a refugee camp. And prior to the war, he was using my materials to learn Circassian. And because <clears throat> my materials are really based around high frequency phrases, and high frequency vocabulary um, with you know, enough grammatical variation that you can kind of figure out a language pretty quickly. He basically took the Arabic portion of my materials and the Turkish portion of my materials, 
threw away all the other stuff that was available and then used my materials to learn Turkish well enough that he could have conversations and get a job and get out of the refugee camp. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because I built all my materials to be very pragmatic, to be very oriented towards everyday common speech and to emphasize grammatical patterns, but without formal grammatical instruction. And, you know, I'm, I'm a native English speaker. It's my first language. So if the brain of a native English speaker could construct something that could help a native speaker of Arabic learn Turkish when the root language of instruction was originally Circassian, and none of those languages have any sort of common grammatical roots, then I realized I probably had something interesting on my hands because, you know, if you can teach, you know, I, I constructed my materials using L1 being English, and now this guy's learning L4. So that's a lot of hops and jumps for the methodology to work. And that's why I thought, you know, um, I'm going to try to commercialize this and, and build something that can help people learn lots of different languages. So um, I built a proof of concept, and originally it was just five languages. It was uh, uh, Spanish, Italian, French, German, and Russian. And uh, it wasn't an app. It was it was basically um, basically a, a digital textbook with uh, MP3 audio recordings. We put it out into the marketplace and people loved it. Um, people loved the content. People loved the methodology. The number one piece of feedback we got was when are you going to launch your mobile app? So um, feeling confident that we had product product market fit. Uh, I decided to invest in the business and uh, really rebrand ourselves as more of a technology play and build out our, our technology platform and launch our mobile app. And uh, that's how we got to where we are today. And th the business has grown well enough that it's, it's now my primary focus. It, it is my full-time job. So I've kind of left corporate America and uh, this is what I do now. So that's, that's my story. Oh, wow. Yeah, because I just, when we got off the phone yesterday, I went and I downloaded it and added it to my language folder of all the other apps that I use and uh, subscribed for um, $11.99 a month. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and then I was, like, I was like, oh, well, he has a few languages I wouldn't mind testing out. <laughs> yeah, and Turkish and Arabic were one of them, and then Icelandic was the other one. I was kind of disappointed you didn't have Finnish. We don't have Finnish. Yeah, yeah you know, um, <clears throat> we do have a we do have a roadmap to add more languages. Um, we we have today roughly double the content of most of the larger, more well known um, mobile app players in the market, and by right. probably the middle of next year, we'll have even more. So right now we're, we're right around double the volume of content of, of most of our larger competitors. And we'll probably be at three X the volume of content by the middle of next year across 21 languages. So we always have this debate internally. Do we add a new language or do we go deeper in a current language? But, um, you know, I can honestly say, you know, there's other people who say that their apps will get you to a B2 level of fluency. Um, we'll go a little bit beyond a B2 level of fluency. Uh, we do have access to the CEFR content base. We know what the vocabulary set looks like. It roughly, well, there's a lot of debate about this online and I can settle it right here and now. 
the CEFR vocabulary set to clear a B2 level of fluency consists of about 4,100 words. Um, that's, that's nothing. nothing. Um, we, right. I mean, yeah, uh, we've a lot of the bigger players out there. They've got about 1,900 to 2,200. Um, right. Which is like, which isn't like, it's like A2B1. We've, we've got about 7,500 words on all the different levels of courses that are, that will be available by the middle of next year. But we've got, we get you to about a B1 right now and we'll get you further than a right. B2 by next year. Um, so, you know, the, the debate always is, do we add one more language or do we go deeper in this language? And then, you know, it's, it kind of boggles my mind because some of my larger competitors, they've got tens of millions of dollars of funding and they've got hundreds of people who work for them. And a lot of their content is generated by, um, volunteers. Uh, we're a team of eight people. We've got 20 languages on our platform. Uh, we'll be adding our 21st language later this year. And we've got double the volume of content soon to be three times the volume of content. I mean, I don't have as many customers as they do. So maybe that's what their people are focused on, but our people are focused pretty squarely on trying to produce a really, really good language learning platform. So we'll get there. We, you know, we will add more languages, but it'll just take us more time. Right. I mean, cause I was looking at it and I was like, wait a minute. I knew this. I knew this. I, Oh, this is so, Oh, I mean, I, I I probably have to get I probably would have to get used to doing it in bigger chunks. Um, but yeah, I I found it to be interesting because I I looked at the air. I was like, for twelve bucks a month, I can dabble in twenty different languages. Is like unheard of. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, because you don't get you don't see that. Like, yeah, usually what you see, usually what you see is one language. 12 you see dollars. one language for twelve bucks, and then what you see is like vocabulary flashcards. Um, what we're really proud of is right now all twenty languages have a course. It's basically a beginner or a false starter course called phraseology, and phraseology is comprised of uh, one thousand five hundred phrases that emphasize a core vocabulary set of about the 1200 most high frequency words in your target language. And every right. phrase is actually, um, there, there's a lot of testing and there's a lot of science that goes behind this. And I'll, I'll kind of bore, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, spare you and your listeners of the boring uh, uh, nerd stuff of this, but really every phrase is roughly one and a half seconds and none of them are more than five syllables long. We might have six syllables somewhere in there. And what we found uh, through our own testing is that uh, it, it's, I don't want to say it's a listen and repeat type of product because that kind of belittles it, but that's a simple way of thinking about it. Um, when you're listening right. and repeating uh, something that's longer than one and a half seconds and something that's longer than five or six syllables is very hard to store in your short-term memory before you're able to recall it back and try to get it into your long-term memory, right? So, right. um, you know, that's one part of our secret formula. The other part of our secret formula is that if you're going to be learning or acquiring uh, language, we want to make sure that what you're learning or you're acquiring is going to be as universal and as um, helpful as possible. So, for example, there might be some other courses or materials that are out there that might teach you something like, um, um, uh, can you help me take my bags to my room? 
right? I'll just use that as an example. Can you help me take my bags to my room? Very travel-oriented uh, phrase, very common that you'll see in lots of phrase books and courses and textbooks, very useful, right? But that is a mm. very, very specific use case sentence or phrase that can really only be used in one scenario. So all the mental right. bandwidth that you're gonna take to learn, memorize, acquire, and make fluent that phrase, um, th the bandwidth is very high. Now, in contrast, in our, in our course, as an example, we'll teach you things like, uh, can you help me? What is this? What is that? Over right. here, over there, take this, give me that. So we teach you these very, very basic, um, they are basic phrases. In fact, you know, they're not that basic in our course, but we teach you very simple, basic phrases. But if you learn them, you can use them in any scenario, right? You could be at a supermarket and you could right. point at something and say, what is this? Or you could point at something else and say, can you help me with that? But then once you really start to not just learn, but acquire those phrases, you can put them together to say things that you've never been taught to say in our course because you've mastered those little bits and put them together. And you can go into a, a hotel and right. say, excuse me, can you help me with this? Take it there, right? And that may not be quite as eloquent as, can you please help me take my baggage to my room? But it's perfectly acceptable, right? So that's kind of the, that's kind of the secret sauce. The, the, all of our phrases are super short. They're easily combined. They, they, they can be uh, put together to say things that you've never quite heard of before. You can express just about anything that you need in everyday life, and um, it you know it, it beats the pants off of the grammatical translation approach that seems to be plaguing our industry. And it's obviously superior to learning vocabulary words outside of context. So that that's kind of how our how our whole methodology works. Which is awesome because when I started when I I, I tested out the uh, Turkish. Just to see what I remembered for what little I dipped into last year using mango for the first time. And I was like, oh, I remember this, and I remember this, and I remember this. And then I remembered, I didn't remember how to say good morning, but then once, yeah, I did. once it, yeah, I connected it, and I was like, oh, wait. And then, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I remember this. Oh, I remember this. Oh, Autumn. Yeah, okay, yeah. Then you put your name. Oh, yeah, now, yeah, this is coming back it's like, I mean, because it was, I, I only did like three chapters, I think, out of the 10 for the mango, because it was just mm -hmm. your basic stuff you would use if you were to go over there. But their version of basic is they throw in your greetings and all that, but they also throw in more mm -hmm. in the chapter that you wouldn't get otherwise. And I was like, oh, well, I remember this and I remember this. And, it, and I was like, oh, well, this is easy. This will be so simple. Oh my God. Because <laughs> I looked at all the languages and I'm like, okay, I dabbled in this. I did this. Okay. Well, wait, let's see what else. Oh, well. And then out of all of them, I was like, oh, okay. The Arabic, the Turkish, the Icelandic, which I was really surprised Icelandic was there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> really, when we were building the platform, it was kind of based on where can we most easily get resources, whether they're technology resources or translation resources or audio resources. Right. Uh, we knew we wanted to come out uh, punching high above, you know, what, what you might think a smaller company could do. So we made a commitment to come out with 20 languages. And that's what we did. And 
you know, we still have a roadmap to add more. But yeah, we are one of the few places where you can get Icelandic. There's not a whole lot of resources to get Turkish. So we're pretty happy that we have that on there as well. Uh, we have all of the uh, Nordic languages as well. Um, you know, we always get requests to add more and we do certainly plan to add more. I don't think we're ever going to add any uh, constructed languages, but, um, you know, natural organic human languages, we, we want to add as many as we can to the platform. Now, I was just curious, were you ever thinking about since you already have your native tongue on the on the roster of languages, did you ever consider like Sami, Northern Sami or Bass or Wolof or Ladino? Yeah, that comes up every now and again. And I am very active in the space of endangered language preservation. Um, that that's how my nonprofit foundation was originally chartered. It still is chartered that way. Uh, for many years, I was very, when I lived on the East Coast, I live in Chicago now, I was very active with the Endangered Language Alliance. Uh, Dr. Daniel Kaufman is a, is a very close personal friend of mine. Uh, he, he's the founder of that organization. Um, it's very difficult for a small organization like ours to be able to make the investment necessary to truly support other mm -hmm. languages the way that they need to be supported. Um, of the right. 20 current languages that are on our platform, 19 of them use text-to-speech, synthetic speech, right? And we're, you know, the, the, the right. reason for that is it's, it's literally 10 times less expensive to take that approach than to use right. uh, human speech. So let me, let me draw a contrast right. here. Um, I'm currently using my own product to improve my Russian. Um, I've, you know, my, my command of Circassian is, is sufficient that the, the product is, it, it doesn't really help me anymore because I've advanced well beyond that. But I have Circassian on the languages on the platform as well. So um, we, you go through your 1500 uh, basic phrases, you get them all translated, you get all the editorial control, everything, every word, every phrase, every sentence on our platform goes through a minimum of three levels of translation editorial control. That's how we can make sure that you know, there's always going to be errors here and there, especially with the volume of content and the volume mm -hmm. of languages that we're dealing with. But that's one way that we can go about minimizing that sort of issue. So now um, a year later, somebody says, hey, in lesson 97, there's a typo or there's a mispronunciation or, um, you know, you said, I want something. But Russians would say, I would like something. So, can you you know, that's something you might want to go and edit. Uh for Russian, where we're using synthetic text to speech, we make the edit, um, we hit a couple of buttons, and then the entire course gets regenerated with the voice already embedded, you know, with the, with the voice updated as well. With Circassian, That's where awesome. it's the only language we have with a human editor, with a human voice, um, it's a fundamentally different process. So with text to speech, because there, you know, there's, there's not a lot of large text-to-speech providers out there it's you know there's basically there's google and there's amazon and there's a handful of and there's microsoft so those are big companies you can trust they've got armies of people looking at artificial intelligence development um they're they're smarter than i will ever be in that area and i can trust you know some people may not like uh synthetic speech engines but i can trust that their output is going to be as good as anything available on the market with with circassian um, the way the process worked was we ran through all of our translations. We got everything all set up. 
uh, I hired a professional voice actor uh, in a professional audio studio. I had to specify the exact precise settings for the microphone so that the voice and the pitch and all these acoustical terms that are beyond my domain of expertise were as close to the synthetic speech as possible so that when you listen to the app, you don't have one language be loud and one language be soft and stuff like that. So you, you do all that. And then what we get back are literally 1,500 audio files. I personally sat down and listened to every single 1,500 audio files. And in doing so, I listened and was reading the original text that I had provided for recording. And I'm listening for a couple of different things. So for example, um, in the word in English, right? We have this word button. We have this word cupboard, cupboard mm -hmm. right? Where you put your stuff in the kitchen. Well, if you're learning the language, do we want to say button so that you can hear the T's? Or do we want to say button the way most people would say it, right? Or uh, in everyday speech, we don't say, did you know, or do you know? We might say something like, do you know, right? Where we skip over these things. And mm -hmm. as native speakers of English, this is what we do. Well, as native, as a native speaker of Circassian, I'm listening to see if my professional voice actor is doing this by accident, right? The other thing that I'm looking to see is um, there might be, you know, maybe phrase number 17 says, uh, I'm going to the store tomorrow. And then phrase number 39 says, um, I'm going to the movies tomorrow. Well, now I have to remember that the word tomorrow exists in two different phrases and I have to listen again. Is, is my voice actor saying tomorrow or tomorrow or tomorrow? right? With different inflection on different syllables, because that can be confusing to somebody who's not uh, a native speaker of a language. And then finally, there's just sort of technical editorial control, like are there hisses, are there pops, are there crackles, which you always get when you have a human being speaking into a microphone. So going through and listening to all 1,500 audio clips, doing all that editorial control, listening more than once, not doing it all in one day so that your brain doesn't go to mush. Um, that's that, that's a lot of time and effort. And that's I'm qualified to do that for, for Circassian. But you can imagine the time and cost it would take if I put that level of editorial control into all 20 languages where obviously I don't speak all 20 of them. And then on top of that, um, after the original beta of Circassian was put together, I did identify a few areas where there were opportunities for improvement in terms of the pronunciation, in terms of how the phrases were structured. So I had to go track down my original voice actor. Actually, it's an actress. Um, I had to I had to track her down, um, book time with her, book time in the studio, replicate all of the um, audio settings on the microphone, and re-record you know uh, a couple hundred phrases. And then bring that back into my content set, listen to them again, make sure the audio settings were identical. So that's a very, very time consuming process. And so that's, it's for all those reasons that I don't think that we have an interest, at least today, in adding uh, human speech to our platform, which is why it would be challenging for us to be able to support right. the language that you just described. Okay. I was just curious because I know that, you know, people are like really gun ho for indigenous languages right now, given the fact that it was just celebrated a year ago, the 
anniversary of indigenous languages and so no I and I, i'm the, i'm the right guy to be asking because i would not be where i am today i mean circassian is an indigenous language to the north caucasus and it's an endangered language it's a dying language right, right. so uh, i completely empathize with with my fellow indigenous language speakers because i am one of them and if not for my love and passion for my own indigenous language i would never have found my way into this space um it is something I'm very passionate about, but, you know, I have limited resources. That's just really what it comes down to. Now, I'm just curious, Will, um, any of the um, African languages be on the list, like Swahili, Zulu? African if I can find a synthetic voice engine that's high quality. So basically, if it's something that Microsoft or Google or Amazon supports, and if we get enough uh, requests for it on the platform, we're always open to it. We don't think in terms of African languages or European languages or Asian languages. We really think, uh, is are there resources that would allow us to build a course the way that our product is structured? That's the first question. And then the second question is, right. is there demand for it? Right. So, for example, uh, originally right. we want to add Welsh to our language, to our platform. Um, all the technology uh, out there exists for us to be able to do all the text-to-speech stuff. We literally, we, we have a minimum of uh, always bringing on a team of three uh, editors and translators to help us build a course. Not even find one Welsh mm -hmm. speaker who was ready, willing, and able, and qualified to do the work, let alone all three. And you know, I've never actually received a request for the Welsh language. So as much as we'd like to support it for those two reasons, even though the technology is there, the, the people who can help us build the course, we were not able to find them. And in the two years that we've had our courses available, no one's ever asked for that language. So, you know, those are all the considerations that go into what languages we're going to add. Because I noticed that like now, um, a lot of people want to learn Welsh and then mm -hmm. want to learn Britain, Brittany and Minsk and Scots and Scotch Gaelic. And then they want to learn Irish, which I learned a bit of Irish this year because I found out I have a quarter Irish in my bloodline. And then I found out that another um, heritage language was Swahili because I have some um, Af West African in my uh, my. Uh, bloodline as well so I learned a bit I mean a little bit of Irish and it was it was quite interesting I mean I, I found certain courses that had Irish but I mean I did it because I wanted to learn a little bit of it not so much I wanted to speak it because the idea of me going to Ireland at this point or out of the country right, right. now given the state of things um, is slim to none even though I would love to visit Ireland. I mean, I like to visit Europe, period. Just for the historical and, and cultural and the food aspect of it. Um, but I, I also take a look at what's in my environment. And right now, since I live in Akron, we have such an international hub of people from all over. You know, whether you're from Asia, you're from Africa, you're from um, the Middle East. Uh, Latin America, um, Eastern Europe, you know, so it's, you know, if you're from like 
South America and Brazil, or you're from Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, Mexico. Um, I haven't met anybody from that's hailed from Cuba yet, but a, a lot of people I've run into recently, they're either from Asia, whether it's Korea, Thailand, um, mainland China, Japan. Um, I haven't met that many people from Vietnam, but I have met a lot of people from like Iran, uh, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Iraq, um, Egypt, Lebanon, Palestine, Israel, Turkey. So I, I guess for me, um, focusing on the languages of the Middle East has been uh, a focus right. for me in the past year or so. Just because I, I run into people more. And it's it's becoming... Ohio's actually has about 825 um, different um, languages. You know, but it, if you live in Northeastern Ohio, Columbus, you know, you, there's so many um, people from all over. It's unreal. And um, right. you don't have an excuse not to be able to speak something. So that I guess that's another reason I, I focused on Arabic and some Turkish and a little bit of Hebrew, but not much because there's not too many people for me to converse with. Right. Pretty much. Even though it's becoming more popular. Yeah. For all intents and purposes. But, um, I was going to ask you. So, what, um, as far as your Arabic, just as, um, curiosity for me personally, is it, is no, it's modern standard. focused on what MSA? MSA? Mm-hmm. Modern standard. Okay. Okay. Because that was, it's such a big hot topic debate when people are studying Arabic, which, which dialect yeah, should it's, it's study? Should it be MSA? Should it be Egyptian? Should it be Levantine? It's funny it be because Morocco? Um, yeah. Arabic is not my strongest language, but it's not a foreign language to me because virtually everyone in my family speaks Arabic. My mom and my dad are effectively they're not native speakers, but they're fluent speakers uh, of Arabic. You know, they, they're bilingual speakers of Arabic, right. um, the way they grew up and everything. And um, what, what Westerners refer to as Arabic, you know, there's, there's, there's Arabic and then there's Egyptian Arabic and there's um, uh, Levantine Arabic. It, it's, it's funny because to me, it, it would be almost like saying, um, which dialect of Latin do you speak? Because there's Portuguese Latin and there's Spanish Latin and there's Italian. I mean, the difference is, and then there's Latin, right? So the reality is that uh, what is available on our platform and what most people end up saying you should learn is MSA, Modern Standard Arabic, which is a modern variant of Arabic uh, Fusha, which is the, lang- uh, the, the language of the Quran. And that's, that, that's kind of the, 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 the main dialect that all Arabs from around the world can, can, can understand. And the analogy, it, it, it's a very apt analogy because, you know, the difference between, um, I don't know, the Arabic spoken in Syria and the Arabic spoken in Iraq is probably pretty close to like 
you know, English spoken in Australia and English spoken in the United States. Pretty, pretty, pretty darn close. But then when you start looking right. at the Arabic spoken in Syria and the Arabic spoken in um, uh, Egypt, right, that's maybe a little bit closer to like Portuguese versus Spanish or Italian versus Spanish, right? But then you throw in Morocco right. and it would be like French versus Portuguese. I mean, they're both romance languages, but the, the gap is just a little bit further around, right? Right. So it's well, just, it's, it's always question. funny to me because, you know, I think it's more of a Western construct that there's, you know, there's this thing called Arabic and then there's these different dialects, but it, it it's it would be like saying you know there's this thing called European yeah. Latin and then there's Portuguese Latin and you know French Latin and you know all that other stuff. Right, because I mean people get so confused. Like I literally went through the Michelle Thomas Modern Standard Arabic course in four days, and I I could see the overlapping of vocabulary and phrases and. You know, this is what you would say in this case versus, you know, um, uh, you know, if you were to speak in Lebanon or Palestine or even Egypt, um, you know, like I've been, I've actually talked to people and they're like, well, you should learn an essay if you want to read and write, you know, and if you want to watch the news. But if you want entertainment, you should learn like yep. Egyptian because that's the entertainment capital of the East. And, and I'm like, well, okay, what about Palestine, Syria, Jordan, and Lebanon, and Tunisia? <laughs> and they well, all got their own I, dialect. I, you know, I do know the, the Egyptian dialect is one of the most widely understood simply because they produce more movies, more soap operas, right. uh, a lot more music than a lot of the other countries. In large part because they're a larger country. They just have more right. people producing more content. Right. Right. I mean, because like right now, I've, I've been um, teaching myself how to cook Lebanese food. And I've been hanging out with a lot of Lebanese people, Egyptian people. And I've also been watching El Heba, um, which is this Lebanese produced um, Ramadan show. It's like 30 episodes, so every day mm -hmm. is a new episode for the whole 30 days of Ramadan. So they're like in their fourth season or something like that. And I watched season one because Netflix had acquired the rights to it. And I watched it with English subtitles because my Arabic wasn't that strong. And I fell in love with the show. Like, literally. So for me, it was like, oh, well, I learned a little bit of Levantine. Let's see how much I can understand. Of course, right now I'm still waiting for season two and three. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it, I, you know, I gravitated to that, but I also gravitated to the people and I also gravitated to the food, which was a big deal to me. And I started cooking all this Lebanese stuff. So now I, I've incorporated that into my life. Um, and then the Polyglot Conference came up. I spoke at it and then I met people from Iran. Then I started watching Tehran on Apple Plus. Then I wanted to learn Persian. So it's like I've been like trapped <laughs> in the Middle East for like a year now. And and I've been I have I would love to go there, but I know as 
someone that's legally blind and has a guide dog. Uh, unless I went with a group of people and it was more for like religious purposes or or some educational thing, right? Uh, I wouldn't be going on my own because there's just certain places that you just you can't you can't go as a woman, and they're you know I'm all about culture and learning more about the culture and and how they dress and how they behave and. You know, because when you go into someone's backyard, as I always say to my listeners, you want to make sure that you understand all of it, the culture, their behavioral norms, their customs, because you don't want to go over there and um, say or do something that may be offensive. So I'm always asking, how how do you dress? You know, how, you know, because, you know, if you're interested to go, I mean, I, (laughs) I spent a lot of my summers in the Middle East. Um. If you're interested to go, really, it's just Saudi Arabia and Iran that mandate dress uh, among women. And then there are social and cultural norms in Egypt and to a lesser extent, uh, Syria and some of the other countries that are in the region as well. But for the most part, um, I want to go out on a limb and say, you know, if, if you dress the way you dress nine days out of 10 in the United States, and that's how you're going to dress there, you'd, you'd be fine. You'd be fine. Yeah, yeah, because I, I was just, I mean, I've heard stories about how Americans would go over, not so much Americans that are African-American, because from what I've been told from a friend of mine who went over there with her family as a vacation, and she's legally blind, and she was saying, I said, well, okay, so what was it like? And she said, business-wise, transactional, anything having to do with money or documents, (laughs) we gave it to our dad, even though the Mm -hmm. sister filled out all the information for them to go, she still gave it to him because they would not speak to her. I was like, wow. I was really shocked. But, I mean, you know, Hey, yeah, you got to follow the rules. <laughs> well, I hope you get to see the region someday. But, um, yes, I would love to. I mean, I would love to go to Lebanon. I mean, right now, it might not be a good idea. Right. I mean, we can't really go too many places anyway. Even though I've seen relatives. Oh, I went to Mexico. Uh, right. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Have you lost your mind? What she was like. But, you know, people are still traveling and people are still going places. I'm like, and I've heard from my European friends, I'm so tired of wearing a mask. I'm like, I'd rather stay alive. So I'll wear my mask and my gloves when I go out with my dog and, and go on a bus or go somewhere. Because, you know, you're keeping yourself safe. You're keeping other people safe. You know, that's the least we can do to keep ourselves Right. Healthy. So, and I, I think the one plus about being in the language learning community, as much as, you know, this is impacting everybody, you can always find something positive. You know, people are still, you know, plugging away at learning a language or wanting to learn a language or, you know, they want to get started with learning a language. And I'm always getting people, so now what resources do you know about or what apps or 
does this work or have you tried this or you know have you you know reviewed all these languages yet and I said well I reviewed all the Michelle Thomas already so you guys can go back and listen to those um but I said you know when I find more apps and that are accessible I'll let you know um I've been playing with it and it, it is accessible well, thank so you for that thank I like you for to that. tell you that off the bat yeah. it is and and um yeah so that's it's not yeah I found it I was like oh yeah, you know, we we started talking about this a little bit yesterday. I I am a I am a sighted person. Uh, I I'm the designer, not the designer, but I'm the uh, yeah. you know the chief architect behind the product. Um, and so it it does have areas of it where you can where you can look at the app and you can read what's being spoken. But yeah, I use it almost exclusively in audio mode. I shut the screen off and. Uh, you know, I use it often. I, I take a walk every day uh, or I'll ride my uh, bicycle indoors if it's too cold. I live in Chicago. If it's too cold to go outside or if it's raining or snowing. And 99% mm-hmm. uh, of the time, I don't look at the screen at all. In fact, the one of the earliest alpha builds that we put together for the app didn't even have any sort of visual component to it as at all. So I, I want to say we're probably, you know, maybe outside of Pimsleur, we're probably, I would guess, one of the only things that are uh, uh, easily accessible to somebody with with no command of any visual faculties. Well, I mean, my totally blind friends would love you for that one. Because they don't, you know, because they can't see at all. Um, you know, it's not a big deal. So, I mean, like, I still have some sight, so I can still see what an icon looks like. Right but I can't read what it says. So, so, you know, I still, I mean, right now I have my screen on, even though I can't read right. what, what it says. Yeah. So, I mean, I, it's kind of hard. Like I tell my totally blind friends all the time, it's hard when you're half and half. So half of your body, you can't see anything at all. And the other half you can, your peripheral is fine. It's your your distance vision, your readable vision is compromised. And I said, you know, to me, that's not a big deal because I know what print looks like. I used to read and write print for a very long time, up until I was about 30. And, you know, I, uh, right. I'm not missing anything. <laughs> you know, because there, there is Audible and there is, you can buy ebooks and you can have it read to you or you can have, um, you know, I did a library for the blind and um, library service for the blind. And, um, you know, like right now I'm, I'm listening to um, Mary Trump's mm-hmm. book and I'm listening to Barack Obama's book because once they came out, they were on Bard. I was able to download them and, and I'm listening to it now. I'm almost done with Barack's book and I'm enjoying it. And I mean, it gives me something else to listen to sure. other than... Sure. Like the news, for instance, and so, so for me personally, it's like, you know, when you when you can sit there and listen, or even watch, you know, something on YouTube, a documentary, like for instance about Persia, or, um, because like once I get into wanting to learn the language, I'll learn the alphabet and I'll learn, 
you know, all the uh, pronunciations for the consonants, vowels, and the pairs, and all that. And then I'll start learning the words and the frequency words that you need to know and, and mind map them in my head. You know, I mean, because once I learn right. the alphabet, right. it's not going to be difficult to be able to spell. Um, you know, and you don't have to visually learn it either, which I think a lot of people fail to realize. You know, everybody wants to read everything because they're so, they went to school in their first language. So everything is an academic um, way of looking at things. So for me, it's like, I tell people, if you know the alphabet, you know, you're how to pronounce everything. It won't be as difficult for you to be able to understand the different sounds because you would have gotten that out of the way first. Um, um, but at the same time, too, you know, you, you, if you're mind mapping what, what it is that you're listening to, oh, uh, then it won't, it won't be so bad, you know, at the end. I mean, it's weird because as a prime example of this, I was listening to um, level one yesterday of the Arabic and man is who in Arabic, <laughs> but man is I in Persian. False cognate. You know, so I'm like, right, right. And I'm like, oh, this is so, you know, so if you say man, he or man, who, who is he, who is she, you know, it's it like confusing, really? you know, but it, um, well, actually, it's kind of funny because, um, I find so many similarities with Arabic and other languages, like as far as certain words, you know, it, it kind of, even though it is one of those languages where the writing system is from right to left, um, it's, it's a very interesting way that they do it. But um, I also found that even if you speak a little bit of it, people go crazy. You know, of course. They're, they're so happy to hear. Of course, I've, I've come it. across a couple dozen people on the internet who are not ethnically Circassian who have learned my language. And that just tickles me. So, yeah. I'm still learning How long did it. Take I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm learning it every day, you know, I mean, and, and what I mean by that is um, I learned okay. a lot of it through um, reading, you know, um, how do I say this? So I've got a six year old okay. son and it's his first language. He speaks English as well. And his, he, he speaks some Russian and uh, my wife grew up speaking in the household as well. So there's nothing I can't say to my son that I don't want. There's nothing I want to say to my son that I can't say, right? There, there's literally nothing, you know, uh, every day, go get dressed, uh, go get, uh, okay. go to your room and get dressed. You know, uh, I'm, I'm late. I need to go to work. Right. There's nothing I can't say in my language, but you know, in, in all the reading that I'd ever done, I never came across something like don't eat your boogers, which is something you say to a little child, which is something you say to a little child or that's gross or that's nasty, right? You don't read these things in books. Um, so it's all these, you know, the way that I've always thought about language learning 
language learning is kind of like, and I apologize for using a visual metaphor here. Um, so there's sometimes in movies, you'll see like, oh, the satellite took this picture. Hang on, we need to enhance the picture. And what you see at first is just literally a bunch of pixels. There's no definition to it, right? And as the right. computer zooms in or as a satellite right. zooms in, those big blocks of pixels become more and more refined and the fidelity of the image goes up, right? The fidelity of the image goes up. There is a richer right. base of uh, colors and detail that comes out, right? So studying a lang any language, right. studying a language, it gets you, you start off with just this big blocky uh, level of pixelated pixels, right? Um, you're learning, if you're listening or you're learning um, uh, mm -hmm. Persian or Arabic, you hear all these garbled sounds. You don't know where one syllable ends and the other begins. You don't know if these three syllables are two words or three words or one word. There, there's no definition to it. And as you start to really move your way into right. the language, that fidelity goes up, right? So I would say that I'm at the point now with Circassian where the fidelity is like watching uh, a really good VHS tape, right? All the detail, all the details there, right? We we all grew up watching uh, VHS tapes in the 1980s, early 1990s. Blockbuster video stores were all around. No one ever said, "I hate watching VHS," because VHS was the same as broadcast quality television back then, right? But then we've got high definition and we've got 4K, right, exactly. we've got 4K ultra, we've got 8K, we've got you know Blu-ray DVDs where the quality, the the definition of the video is improved dramatically, right? And at market and and you, there is a little bit more that you see. Now, right. it's not dramatically. It's not like you're you're seeing something fundamentally different, but you are seeing something fundamentally more, right? And so that's, that's I think, an, an apt analogy when mm -hmm. you are learning or acquiring a language. You get to this point where you can say everything that you want to say. Um, and we've all come across like somebody who's, you know, we're all speaking English, so I'll use English as the example. I'm sure we've all come across somebody who is clearly a very, very gifted, competent speaker of the English language. Someone we would all agree is fluent but somebody whose speech patterns are just a little bit off and therefore we just know is not a truly native speaker of the language because they they say button instead of button right to use an example i used earlier or um they they don't they don't use all these little throwaway terms mm -hmm. that we use all the time like you know what i mean or um uh, does that make sense or let me say it back to make sure i understood it all these things and by the way those are when you get to that level of fidelity those are also things that like if if I were to go to uh, England tomorrow and let's say I could fake an amazing British accent, I still would not pass for a native speaker of British English because all those little all those little they're, they're called connectors. But right. all those little connector phrases that I just used that I just illustrated in English, I don't know what they are in British. British English. Right. So um, so, you know, I'm still right. learning Circassian because every day. My, you know, how do you say poopy pants in Circassian? You know, it's not a word I've ever seen in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a book.
but these are words that either my my wife teaches my son, which she probably right. has not used for decades, or it's a word that my son invents on his own, as all children do. So I'm still learning. I'm still learning. Right. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting you say that because a lot of times, you know, people, that's the first thing they want to say when they learn a language. I want to be native. Uh, you can come close. I'm not going to lie on that. But you got to get out of a textbook. You, you need, you know, you're going to have to know slang. You're going to have to know all these different idioms, how to use them, when to use them. Um, you know, who are you talking to when you use this? Are you talking to your friends? Are you talking to someone you're with personally? You know, okay, if you're talking to your in-laws, you definitely wouldn't be using yep. that depending on what it was, you know, so it, a, a lot of, you know, sometimes I was like, okay, I know someone, they wanted to learn Russian. They've been learning it for two months. And I said, okay, so I started speaking mm -hmm. Russian in them. They understood what I said, but they couldn't respond. And I said, well, I want to learn it fast. Oh, honey, it took me three years to get to a very high level. Why? Because I started speaking from day one and I kept speaking for like a year straight making recordings and such and talking to people and whatever and then i just did nothing but listen to russian material from 6 a.m to midnight seven days a week for a whole year i was like if you spend 5,544 hours sure. doing nothing but passive listening you'll you, you'll really understand language then and it, and and you gotta you gotta look outside the box like you can't just be like i want to read tolstoy i was finally able to understand Tolstoy after three years. Takes time. But that was three years. Takes time. Takes that, time. That did not that didn't happen in three months. Like yeah, in in people, I want to be native. Okay, guess what I want to do today? My goal is to learn enough vocabulary to go to a restaurant and order some food. Let's see how that works. Let's see if I can have a simple conversation you know, and order some food, not speak one word of English. And I did that several times in Levantine Arabic, Egyptian Arabic. Well, God uh, bless you, because I, I got to tell you, every now and again, I mean, uh, not recently because of COVID, but every now and again, I'll go to an American restaurant and I'll see something on the menu and I'm like, what is this? <laughs> so God bless you if you can go into a, a foreign language menu and 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 uh that's something that i still aspire to do but i'm i'm not there yet myself i i do many goals i, I do short things like that because i'm like well i'm interacting with people what do i do in my real life i go out right. and eat. right what do i do in my real life i go out and i go shopping so why not apply it to my language learning you know i can get the rest of the words it took me like 20 minutes like, I just told my friend to be quiet and keep driving. <laughs> and I, I learned how to order some food. And I was invited to a Buddhist temple because of that. Um, to practice some Thai. And I had a little bit, I only knew a little bit of Thai. And I mean, very little. So, I mean, it was one of those things where I went last year and just ordered food in all kinds of languages just to see. And everybody's like, well, anyone can do that. I was like, not necessarily. 
I was like, a person could study a language for five years, go to the yep, country, and that's still not know how to order food or buy anything. Because they're not they're not focused on that, which they should be. Because I want to cook. So I'll learn all these cooking terms. I'll I advise people to go to, you know, different places like Facebook and mm-hmm. um, join groups that's based off of the language you want. And find and if you like cooking, yep. find the group that's doing it in the target language. You'll be so surprised oh, how absolutely. much you learn. Absolutely. From doing a hobby in your own in the target work. you know, it, it it's a lot of fun, and I said you just have to find the right method to in in more than one. I would I wouldn't just say okay, go to Utah and download this, go to Optilingo and download this, and then, you know, let me know how you get on with that. And then, um, you know, if you want, you can do this. You can go to YouTube. You can go to TuneIn Radio, Gar- Guardian Radio, Garden Radio, and, um, you know, find music, find movies, find books. You know, Harry Potter's in every language. Which <laughs> was like, trust me, I know. I have it all. Almost. But I said, find whatever it is you want to learn about. You know, if you want to learn culture, if you want to learn fashion, you want to know who's the fashionista in Iran or Saudi Arabia, which I, you know, I'm just using that as a prime example. But if you, you know, whatever it is that you do in your your mother tongue, switch it and do it in your target language. You'll get further that way and you won't be sitting there burnt out because you're like, Oh, I'm just studying this because yeah. you've, got to, you've got to connect with something like that's real interesting and relevant and important yeah. to you. Right. I mean, I, I tell people don't, I want to learn 30 languages. Okay. You got the rest of your life. Okay. Do you want to be conversational? Do you just want to know some phrases? Do you just want to, do you want to work in that language? You know, which is going to take a lot longer. Um, you know, what do you want to do? And half the time, they don't really know. They just know they want to speak 30 languages. I was like, well, good luck. That's going to take some time. You know, because right. you got to maintain all of them. Too. So that's, that's something that I, I try to advise people on a lot. Because a lot of time, you know, you have all these different podcast shows. And they have their own way of, you know, communicating to a wider audience. And um, I always say, you know, it it doesn't, you know, you can put $300 into a course, but if it doesn't work, you know, you just wasted $400, $300. And I said, I try to do something that's like cost effective. So if it's less money, you know, um, I'll put, you know, my, my self into it. Um, but otherwise, you know, I'm not going to spend that kind of money if I can help it. <laughs> I will find something that's more affordable and accessible. Cause like I said before, I refuse to, um, recommend apps if they're not, if they can't work with my screen reader, since I use only Apple products. I let people know that off the bat. Um, but, you know, 
I always do that because there are blind there are like three hundred million blind people out of seven billion people. And, you know, some don't have access to you know horses. Right. Where they have where they can just buy it for a hundred bucks. And if you can download if you can download like this app and, and use it for eleven dollars, twelve dollars, that's not bad. You know, depending on what what language you want to learn, like I, prime example, I met someone from Ethiopia, and because their banking system is very different from Western world, um, you know, they have to rely on a lot of pirated stuff. You know, because they just can't afford mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. materials that most people are buying on the market these days. And then you have the content creators that get ticked off because, you know, they're not getting compensated for it. And I said, well, yes, but you're not living in a third world country where you don't have access to that. You're lucky to be able to get what you can get, you know, and there are plenty of people that, you know, they want to learn languages and they can't because, you know, they have certain restrictions, you know, so they have to, if they get something for free, they, they utilize it to the best of their abilities. So I think I will be probably recommending this app for future people because I kind of enjoy it. I think I, I'm, I'm going to. Hey, on that note, um, I got to wrap up because I have another call starting in just a few minutes. Um, okay. okay. If anyone wants to get in contact. Just go to Optolingo.com. That's O-P-T-I-L-I-N-G-O.com. And uh, all the ways to contact us are available there. Thanks for having me. And thanks for all the the great conversation we had today. Thanks. You too. Oh, you're welcome. Happy holidays.